Father, we do thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for those who are here with us, who are hungry to hear your word and be transformed by the renewing of our minds. It's a slow process many times, and we thank you for your faithfulness to us, even when we are unfaithful, and you keep us kept in your hand. Um, We long for the day when we are no longer fighting the residual sin that's in our heart, but that we are fully free to obey you, to love you, to reflect you as we ought to. Uh, Lord, as we go through this uh, passage today, I pray that one of the things that's impressed upon us is our need for um, honesty and um, being realistic on who we are before you, rather than trying to conceal uh, ra- rather than trying to hide from you, but we go to you knowing that you are our Father um, and that you have reconciled us to yourself in Christ and that we have no need to fear your judgment because of what he's done and yet we need to keep short accounts with you as one uh, teacher has said before and I pray that we we keep, uh, we keep that in mind, not only as a, in our relationship with you, but in our relationship with each other, how we relate to one another, that we don't let things build up, but that we confess, we repent, we move on. And I ask for that heart to be within our group, within our church. In Christ's name, amen. We're, we're moving on in Exodus 32. We're going to start in verse 15. Uh, <clears throat> By way of review, uh, we, two weeks ago we, we, we looked at the, um, the rebellion of Israel at the base of the mountain when they got impatient waiting for Moses to come back down, uh, whether uh, there was some concern or whether or not he had left them, uh, they were feeling like he had shamed them by abandoning them in the wilderness, and so they, they surrounded Aaron and kind of a mob mentality. That's God's. Um, he said, "Give me the the earrings out of your ears, the gold out of your ears," and uh, he throws it into the th- and out pops this. Oh wait, that's today. Um, he throws it into the fire, melts it down around a mold, graves it into this cow, this young bull kind of thing, and they they dance and prance and play and yay! This is the God that brought us out of Egypt. Moses interceded for them last week. We saw. When God, knowing this is going on, is ready to destroy them all and make a new nation out of Moses. And we saw Moses being the mediator between God and man there, the Israelites and God, helping uh, to preserve them from annihilation. And the humility of Moses there and and the brokenness of Moses for the sin of the people there. Well, the whole... And that may sound confusing. Why would God want to destroy them? What's going on there? The whole architecture of this agreement is, is an ancient Near Eastern construct called a suzerain contract, where you have the great king who delivers a people, and then uh, there is, uh, the people are now obedient to the king who has delivered them for his protection, for his, and, and, and they, they serve this great king. So there's a lesser king and a greater king, 
and there's this mutual agreement. I'll protect you. I'll provide you know some some kind of uh, law for you to abide by. And then the people underneath who are serving, often represented by a lesser king, say yes, we will obey you. We'll pay taxes. We'll do you know just protect us kind of thing. That's kind of the idea here. God has set this covenant up to be a, like in, in that same contract that they're familiar with. And so what's happened is they've breached it right out of the bat. We, we saw that last week that the, the language is, they've ruined it. They've ruined it. And so um, Moses intercedes for the great, with the great king, God, and now he's coming down the mountain. Let's take a look at what happens. Verse 15. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. The tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back, they were written. The tablets, work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, It is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. Let that set in. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you? that you have brought such a great sin upon them. And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people, that they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, Let any who have gold, take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire. And out came this calf. <laughs> we'll stop there. Grant Price. It's a magician thing going on there. Um, what do we start? What do we start? Why does he start with? Two verses practically on describing the tablets. It's a lot of real estate on the tablets there, right here at this beginning of this passage. What's going on there? Emphasis. What? On what? What kind of emphasis? That it's God's, it's kind of the juxtaposition of holy versus non holy. And so he's ah. overemphasized holy, the tablets are there of God, written by God. This is God's word. The language is used, engraved by the finger of God. Does that recall anything else recently in this passage, in this section? The calf was engraved. 
by Aaron, uh, after he molded it, he engraved he used an engraver's tool to engrave on it, like a big smile. Um, you have this contrast between a man-made piece of art and God's engraving his word. What do you see there? Um, tablets, they were work of God. It's exclusive language. Nobody else did this. He didn't need anybody else to do it. He's revealing himself in the way that he chooses to do it, and he does it alone. Moses isn't writing this. The work of no one else, God does his own engraving for what he chooses to reveal of himself. He doesn't need our help. So Moses is bringing down the mountain an engraved representation, picture, testimony to who God is on these tablets. In contrast to, to quote Aaron, what, what sprang up out of the fire. <laughs> they're, they're dancing around a God they made to engage their senses. Right? They're dancing around and doing all kinds of nonsense as unto this God that they made to be able to, to see and to, to, to have uh, something that they're comfortable with as an object of worship. And yet Moses is coming down. Everything they're worshiping is temporary, yes? I mean, we talk about some of the stuff, the dancing, and it's not, I'm not just being Baptist. The dancing here is a, is a, is a thing that represents playing, pleasure, let your mind go, whatever it's going to be. There, all of that stuff is included in this term in Hebrew. We translate it dancing. So they're, they're glorying in everything that's temporary. But Moses is coming down the mountain with the eternal commands of God that engage the heart. That's the stuff we don't like to deal with. I like to deal with the woohoo, but I don't like to deal with me before holy God. Where's my heart? Right? And he's bringing that down the mountain from the summit, and there at the base, we talked about them breaking at least two commandments last time, right? The, no other gods before me, no graven image. I just want to note here that our nature is revealed in our response to these commands. You find who you are in your response to don't murder. Right? When Jesus says, if you hate your brother in your heart, it's like you're, it is murder. It's the same seed. It's the same, coming from the same thing. And my response to that, if it's, well, they did this to me. These friends who you gave me treated me this way. Therefore, I'm justified in the bitterness. That's a, that's a revealing of the heart, isn't it? How we respond to what's coming off the mountain reveals who we are. Israel has opted to make uh, happiness the truth. Uh. I'll leave that to you for later. Thank you. Uh, rather than joy in the pursuit of who God is, rather than joy in the pursuit of His holiness, His freedom, I think God is free. To think of our um, pursuit of Him and imaging Him and reflecting Him as being free? Here they are, 
building their own prison at the base of the mountain again. They just came out of slavery. What are you doing? And yet, there's this freedom that God is bringing to them. An engraved picture, an engraved representation of himself, and they're, they're shackling themselves again. What does he say? Yeah. Uh, a couple of things. So is Joshua a travel, travel party? Is he traveling with Moses? He, um, he did not go up into the cloud. He just went kind of halfway. He was, you remember they had the, the meal halfway up the mountain uh, with God, the elders and Joshua and all of them, and then Moses went on up into the cloud. Well, the idea is that the, the implication is that the, the other elders went down, but Joshua stayed there to attend to Moses when he, came, okay. when he came down. So it's not explicitly stated, but we assume that as he's coming down, he's walking with Joshua, he meets him back halfway under the cloud, and then you get this, this question... Or the statement by Joshua about the, the war, um, cry of so war. Doesn't, doesn't Moses know that something's going on? Oh, yeah. There? Okay. Yeah. I don't, think his, I don't think his statement is one of, I wonder what's going on. Is this? I think it's a, it's a, it's a statement to Joshua of, it's, it's not war. It, there's not defeat, there's not victory in this, in this shouting you're hearing. These people are sinning. They're, they're playing. God had told him last week. Sure. Yeah, but Moses hadn't been confronted with it right. visually. Personally. He knows because God told him, but now he's about to experience what God has already seen. Right. And those questions come from this, like just tossing the the commandments at the. It just seemed like a like an interesting reaction to what he. Well, it's a purposeful reaction, um, and we'll get to that in just a second. The the word for singing there that he he says this um, in the in the in verse uh, 16, 17, um, or, or I'm sorry, in 18. It's not the sound of shouting for victory. Notice the symmetry. It's not the, the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of feet, but the sound of singing that I hear. That word for singing there, one, one of the smart guys has seen that it is kind of a, a word play for uh, one of the Canaanite goddesses, uh, Anat, Arat, I think it's Anat, Anat, A. Anat, A-N-A-T, however you want to say that, we'll say it East Texas, Anat. Um, so this goddess of the Canaanites is the goddess of love and war, right? So as he's saying, it's not the sound of war I'm hearing, it's the sound of playing. There's this kind of play on words of this is, a, this is a pagan thing they're doing. He brings that out to Joshua in the language that he uses. It's a theory of one, at least one guy that, that's out there. Um, their sound of their singing was put against what might have been the sounds of victory or defeat. They were singing loud. They were having a good old time. They could hear it up the mountain. What madness is that? What crazy mentality is that? To just give themselves over to what they know is false. And baptize it in the language of Yahweh, feast to Yahweh. Does that just stun you? Because, I mean, we just don't do that stuff. We need to give ourselves over to whatever. Well, all right. Verse 19 When Moses saw them, what was his response? What was his response? He said it a minute ago. Isn't that interesting? 
when he saw it, he burned hot with anger. That's a good question. I will say that the, the thing that I found uh, very uh, compelling in this is that you're exactly right. He, he is imaging God's anger at this. And it brought to my mind that phrase, Moses implored of the Lord his God. You become what you worship. Right? And he is seeing this. And it's not his anger at, I can't believe they, they treated me this way. He's angry that they would defy God this way. How dare you? You see this in David. Who is this Philistine that would dare defy the armies of the living God? I mean, you see that kind of anger, that jealousy for the, for the nature and the character of God just grip him. And he does something. Question, uh, let's tag off of that. Does that happen to you? The burning? The burning anger against sin, against depravity, against um, disloyalty to the, who God is? Do we, do we react that way? Do we have that? When we look in the mirror? Don't answer. It's okay. That's a, what is Moses' response? He's angry, and then what does he do? Through the tablets. He throws these, these tablets that are written by the finger of God, right? This is something God engraved. You'd think he'd put this up in a shrine somewhere so we could bow to it later. I mean, this is holy. What does he do? He shatters them at the base of the mountain. Now that seems a little extreme. They broke the covenant, though. Okay. But wouldn't you want to hang on to something yeah, that God like wrote? God just handed these to you, and then you're going to chunk them? I kind of wonder if he saw the people's hearts and their tendency to then take the next thing and worship it instead of God. Maybe some of that. Yeah. Maybe some of that. It says that he was angry. I don't think that that's why he did it. Because he was angry, jealous for, for who God is, it would seem counter for him to do it that way. There's intentionality here in shattering these because they had shattered the covenant. Um, the terminology uh, of the ancient Near East, when, when someone was going to... to, uh, to to repudiate a covenant, the language was they broke the tablet. That's the that's the mindset of the of the worldview of these. I mean, they didn't. Um, he, he tore the contract, right? He he ripped the paper. He he uh, whatever. We we say things like that similar, but here it's they broke the tablet. It's a legal description of that repudiation of the, repudiation of the uh, covenant. He's, that's, pretty, that's pretty jarring for them when they saw Moses and heard all the tablets broken. Not only did they have to jump all the way back to their assumption that he was dead and, and shamed them by just leaving, mm -hmm. but he actually uh, was allowed, you know, he came back, he had the tablets from God, oh, and now they're broken. The yeah. whole thing 
jumps all the way back to their decision to leave. Yeah. They left. Yeah, exactly. Us. Exactly. God. Yep. Can you remind me of how many people are participating in this at this time? Because, like, in my mind's eye, I always have, like, 12 people. Here. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, like, as many people as they're actually. Well, I mean, when they're talking about, like, like they're, they're down there playing. You're yeah. not thinking of the actual size. We're, the, the estimations are that there are about 3 million at least people. I don't think that all of them are engaged in this, as we'll see later on as we work through the chapter. There are some who, who come to Moses. We didn't participate in this. And then he exacts judgment on those who did. I mean, Each one of the thor- uh, sort of the corner of that, their voices kept Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They were very... It's not just like a... a but the majority, if, if, if they were the minority, the majority didn't stop them. Yeah. So, so the implication is that all of them are guilty because they permitted it. Mm-hmm. They gave hearty approval to it, maybe? So. Right? So you have, you have this, even though there may be some people who are just lightly dancing, <laughs> a little jazz swing going on. <laughs> um, or there were some who were like, really, I'm not going to do the rest. They were really, you know... <laughs> Mashed potato in it or whatever, but um, <laughs> what does that mean? He just said mashed potato. It's a type of six thing. Okay, so which is not my era. Anyway, um, they they may not have been wholly embracing the thing, but they were certainly not stopping it. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if he said to them at first, "What are you drinking?" Yeah. Anyway. But think of the peer pressure of two people and multiply that. I mean, I'll buckle to the peer pressure of one or two people. Like you're talking about people that are ready to rip them in half. Yeah. But then he uses that as an excuse when Moses comes to Aaron. Right. But but the people. But the people. So you have uh, this. Why was he chosen to? Build a calf. Uh, because he was somebody in authority. He was, you know, the kind of the, the second in command with Moses at that time. Um, <laughs> all right. The singing and dancing here is reminiscent of the, of the celebration because of Yahweh's deliverance from the Red Sea. Remember after they left, or they walked through the water, they, they were, I will sing unto the Lord, He is triumphed victoriously, the horse and the rider thrown into the sea. They're dancing, and Miriam's doing the tambourine, and they're getting all charismatic on it. And they're just having this feast, this celebration, this singing and dancing thing. The language is they're doing the same thing for this calf. Wow. To take on what was meant to honor God and hold it in honor of this calf. And Moses remembers the Red Sea. He was there. He remembers the celebration afterward as his sister was leaving singing. And he sees this same activity going here and it just it goes all over him. We can go through the same motions. We can say all the same words. But our hearts can be far from Him. And that's what he's seeing. What does Moses do with this calf god? 
<laughs> beats it to a pulp. He burns it. He grinds it. He <laughs> marks it with a T. Gives it you. Okay. He 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 burns it. He grinds it. He scatters it in this water. Thank, thank you, Carly. He scatters it in this water. What is this water? There's no real uh, body of water that's that is uh, that is identified here in Deuteronomy. Uh, we see that there's, and he, Moses recounting this, he says, And I poured the ashes, the dust of it, in the brook that comes off the mountain. So the sole, sole water source that's identified here is a brook that comes off the mountain. A brook, large body of water, little body of water? It's what? Little. little. Okay, calf dumped in a little body of water, now drink it. Do you think it's diluted? That's all kinds of nasty. Uh, drinking gold dust and mold dust uh, in, in this little brook. The actions here of burning, grinding, and scattering are, are metaphorically understood in the ancient Near East as the annihilation of a god. The annihilation of a thing. There's some text in, the, in this time period, some Canaanite text, of one god rising up and and, and breaking, uh, grinding down the body of a dead god, which is an interesting thing, and then uh, spreading it in the, in the river you know, as, as annihilation. Moses goes one step further. What does he have them do? Why would he have them drink it? Rubbing their face in it? I mean, it punishes everybody. Right. It, it started out with a request from the mouth. Make us gods. Here are your gods. Right? They're shamed by having to ingest their sin. Um, also, not to get too gross here on Sunday morning, but what happens to it later? Does it reside in the gut forever? No. It, it shames this deity that they're worshiping too. You can't go find the dust later and, and worship the dust because I ain't touching that. You know? That this this shaming thing that goes on. A total annihilation of this God. Uh, another thought that, that I saw among the smart folks is that this points to what's called a trial by ordeal, which in numbers we see um, if if a man suspects his, his wife of uh, of committing adultery, uh, he takes her to the priest accuses her, and the priest will, uh, will take some of the ashes from below, below the altar, put them in a, in, a, in a thing of water, and she's to drink it. She's to drink this, these ashes. And the, the text says that if she is indeed guilty, her uh, thigh will waste away. And so anyway, physically she will, she will suffer because of this. We'll judge her for it. But if she's not, nothing will happen, and he's to not ever accuse her again. So it's called a trial by ordeal. Some suspect, some think that this is what's going on as well. And in fact, later on in the chapter, we see a plague come on the people. Trial by ordeal. If, it, if you're guilty, this is going to happen. If you're not, nothing should happen. Guess what? They're guilty. And so we see a plague happen later on that exacts a, a, a consequence, but not a complete judgment because of the mercy that Moses pled for earlier. All right. One thing, this doesn't, the text doesn't talk about this, but I just wanted to, I wondered if there was any resistance at all 
you got three million people, guy comes off the mountain, takes the cap, obliterates it. Like, do they just kind of like stand around and watch him do it? Or? I think the fact that basically Moses has come from their supposed dead oh, okay. <laughs> gives him some credibility. He is here. We thought he was gone. What is this? And, and this anger that he had and, and the, the, the dramatic... Think of the visual of that. The sound of cracking stone on the ground and, the, and him appearing. Yes? In the Deuteronomy 9 uh, text, it sounds like that, uh, that he actually he went back up into the mountain for the 40 days and 40 nights to get the covenant again from the Lord and mm-hmm. then came down and just broke the cap. Is that, that's how it's suggested in the writing of chapter 10. Yeah, I don't know. I have to look at it. I have to look at it. That's not what we have here. But if that was the case, then he comes down the mountain the second time and his face is shining and he looks a lot more... Yeah, maybe. I have to, I have to read that. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I didn't, I didn't look at that for, far down on, in Deuteronomy. But. I find this is a clear example of what Christ did for us. I mean, here Moses lose him out of captivity out of the land of Egypt and you know, basically offers him a salvation, if you will, and then they reject God and make gods themselves and stuff. Just like how Christ delivered us from the cross. Mm-hmm. And how a lot of us reject Him. Yeah, there's some certainly some, some clear uh, pictures of the human heart here. Mm-hmm. What, what's Aaron's story in verse 22? Oh, I'm sorry, starting in verse 21. Moses' attention goes from the people to Aaron. And he says to him, Tell me what they did to you to do this stupid thing. He calls it a great evil. What, why? Uh, what's he saying there? What's he... Yeah, well, that's true. He does not answer the question. So, do you want to be like Aaron? or? Okay, I got you. Let's see what... Um, d- Moses knows these people. He knows their rebellious hearts. And so he asks Aaron, what kind of pressure did they put on you for this? Why would you do this? Notice he doesn't leave his own brother out of this. He didn't cut Aaron any slack. What you've done is allowed these people, participated in with these people, a great evil. Just because he's blood doesn't mean that he's absolved from judgment. He doesn't spare even his own brother in calling him to account. This word great sin often is used of uh, idolatry and also adultery. Um, They're kind of two sides of the same coin in the Old Testament. Idolatry and adultery. What's Aaron's story? Yeah, that ship has already sailed. (laughs) <laughs> I, I was reading in this, it, the, the language that we have, I don't know how the Hebrew is, but it's just, let the anger of my Lord, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot, but not God Lord, Moses Lord. He uses the same language. He mirrors Moses' language when he pleads for the people, right? Why are you burning hot against your people? Mm-hmm. God, Moses says to God. Aaron says the same thing in such a humble, repentant, broken, intercessory way for who? Who? Himself. Himself. And what he points to is not God's character or Moses at all, or even himself. 
himself, he says, look what the, the people did. They, he, they, they did. he finds an argument Moses can champion. He knows these people are rebellious people. Hey, you're right, they are rebellious people. They are evil people. Their hearts are set on evil. You wouldn't believe what I had to deal with while you were gone. Why were you gone so long? You wouldn't believe what I had to deal with. He gets behind an argument that he thinks Moses will, will gravitate to and, and cut him some slack. He pleads first to justify his own actions, not on behalf of the people. Second, he picks up on Moses' anger with the people and plays heavily on that. They are set on evil. Incidentally, the word evil here is the word Ra, which is the sun god of Egypt. It became synonymous with evil in Hebrew. So i just throw that out there for your next dinner party. Uh, another element to this argument. You were gone. They said, this Moses who led us out, make us gods because this Moses. It's really not to replace Yahweh, Moses. It was just to replace you. Oh, it's not that heretical, right? It's not as bad as, you, as it may have looked when you first came off the mountain. You, you, you might have overreacted just a little bit. It's not that heretical. She's not that pregnant. It's not that heretical. And I'm thinking, I'm following, I'm following Aaron's argument here. And he had me until the calf jumps out of the fire. I mean, I'm with, I could see some of this. I could see how he justified it. Then the calf jumps out of the fire. I'm like, what is going on here? After all that engraving and all that work he's done. That would be the problem, wouldn't it? And it's not that in the mindset of the ancient Near East, gods don't create themselves, because they, they do in the mythology of the ancient Near East. And so there is that worldview uh, that, he is a, that he is bringing into this. The, the calf had the power of self-generation. That wouldn't be unheard of in that time period. But it's a bald-faced lie. He had engraved it. He had molded it. He had created it. And yet he just says, it jumped out. Maybe he, as he's doing his argument of it was just against you, it wasn't against God, he saw Moses' face go dark. And it jumped out! I didn't, you know... <laughs> I don't know how that played out. I have a lot of theories in my head. Of, if I were to do a screenplay, this is what it would look like. So, so there's this jumping out thing. What's going on here? Isn't that how we deal with our sin way too often? It gets complicated. Uh, it's complicated by the fact that um, I, I, he is participating in breaching the first and second commandment, and now he's breaching the ninth. He's lying. Rather than just say, I screwed up. I fell into the trap of being uh, persuaded by fear. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm guilty. When I concealed my sin, the hand of the Lord was heavy upon me, the psalmist says in Psalm 32. And here we have this continuing uh, compounding of sin in, in Aaron's response. How does, um, how does Moses respond to this? What does he say? 
Aaron says the cow jumped out of the fire. What, is, what does Moses say? Okay, what is the next line in verse 25? And when Moses saw people had broken loose, Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies. Does he respond to the statement? Hmm. No. No. He doesn't answer this. What does that tell you? He was alive. Yeah. Well, it seems like Aaron says what, what we do sometimes when, when we know we're wrong and we mm-hmm. found out, don't be mad at me, it's somebody else's fault, and it just happened naturally. And it, <laughs> mm-hmm. what do you expect? I'm only human, born to make mistakes, right? Um, here, Moses doesn't respond is silent in the face of this bald-faced lie and silent, is silent in the face of this justification of his actions. And that silence is very, very loud. Can you just imagine how he just... Um, my mom, when I was growing up and I would do something, we used to call it stink eye. You, ever, you know mom's stink eye? You do something and she doesn't say a thing. She's she'll be on the phone. We'll be acting fool and that or white lips. Those are the two things. You know those two things. So I get it. I get the feeling that Moses here is just looking at him like you're an idiot. What have you done? Don't justify this. Yeah. The, what what comes to my mind after reading that a couple times is you know Moses may have known, may have had a hunch that you know what Aaron had done. Through hearing things, and you know, if you if you know somebody's done something, give, give me your story. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, that's your, that's your story. That's where you're going with. Okay. And you know where his heart is by how either he he cops to the truth or he tries to. Mm-hmm. You know what amazes me on this too is that how similar um, this discussion between Moses and Aaron is to the discussion between God and Adam. Mm-hmm. Both were. Um, both were responsible for another or others. Uh, both weren't the initial sinners in the, in the deal. They didn't initially jump into it, but were drawn in, either through fear or uh, anxiety over what Eve had done or whatever was going on in Adam's head. And both lied the pants off. To, to uh, well, sorry. But both lie. Adam didn't have pants. Um, both lie. Look at this woman you gave me. You know these people, right? Um, No one can force us to sin. Being drawn into it by enticement or fear is never an excuse. And certainly the excuse given by Aaron doesn't work. Sin sprang up out of nowhere. It wasn't my fault. We gravitate all kinds of excuses. Um, well, yes. Um, it's interesting that God didn't, when he warned Moses that what was going on down there, he said the people have to be themselves the golden calf. He didn't say that Aaron facilitated mm. it or anything about Aaron, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting. But also, uh, just the, and, and then in Deuteronomy, that chapter, it says that God's anger was burning so hot at Aaron that he wanted to destroy him. Mm-hmm. 
joined innocent just by facilitating it and not standing in front of it, not, not pushing back against it. He even tried to redeem it. Just the, yeah, just the implication for what that means for us. If, right. we, if we don't stand in the gap in small ways or in anything, you know, as an individual or society, well, they're going to do it anyway, so we might as well mm -hmm. you know, make it safer or easier or whatever. Hmm. So many different... Yeah. By not confronting it, by trying to mitigate the damage, we participate in it. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think that's right. I think you see that here. Um, Sin sprang up out of nowhere and it wasn't my fault. That, that's his argument. That's Adam's argument. That's our argument. We craft the idol. We engrave the idol. We make it pretty and acceptable to us. And our defense of it grows the sin. It becomes complicated. It's worse than it was initially because we justify it. We try to explain away our guilt for breach of the first two commandments, and specifically Aaron here, and then he becomes guilty of the ninth. Matthew Henry says that sin is a brat that nobody is willing to own. It would have been better for Aaron to have said nothing, right? Than to complicate it. But he does. Proverbs 28.13 says, Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Um, just real quickly, a couple of minutes here. Psalm 32, let's go there. In light of thinking through what Aaron has done, think of another well-known sin in that of David with Bathsheba. We know Psalm 51. Psalm 32 is another psalm that David wrote later on that was also out of that sin with Bathsheba. And he starts it out this way. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. What does he define as deceit? For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. You hang on to it. You defend it. You deny it. You create really interesting stories about justifying it. It's weighty. It's just complicating it. It makes it heavier. The heart is heavy from this. How does he get out of this? I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. How does God respond to the broken and contrite heart? Does he change his mind? we saw with Moses pleading for the people? No. God always responds with mercy to those who are broken and repent. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. 
Don't presume upon the grace of God by hanging on to sin, by hanging on to rebellion. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. God celebrates his mercy. And then he, the psalmist is quoting God here. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with, the, with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule, or dead, dare we add, a cow, without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but the steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. We can't cling to it. We can't justify it. Yeah. to cover my sin mm. and then when he says I, I won't hide it I won't cover it but then God covers but then God covers it very good with yeah. his righteousness yeah. we can't cover up our own sin it's a foreign covering and be, <laughs> yeah. and be successful it just grows into a web of lies and deceit and right. trying to hide and lest we think that this is just Old Testament and doesn't apply to us post cross this psalm was used by Paul in Romans 4 to talk about the great doctrine of justification by faith alone. He points here. I confessed it and I was covered. I didn't have to work at it. I didn't have to do things to, to earn God's favor. Blessed is a man whose sin is forgiven. I confessed it. It is infinitely better for us to go to one another and confess our sin to one another as well. First, make it right with God. If you've done, once you get right with God, then you have the capacity, then you have the, well, the mandate, really, to make it right with each other. If we let things build up and let things complicate and grow like yeast in bread, I think I've heard that somewhere before, it becomes overwhelming and it, it, there's no it, there's this overwhelming sense of I, I just can't fix this between this person anymore go to your brother go to your sister directly after repenting before God for your own pride for your own sin and make it right don't let things build up keep short accounts with each other and with God any other questions comments fruit to be thrown what do you all right, shall we pray? See your hands. Father, this sounds all good in the safety of a classroom. But when you go and look a brother in the eye, knowing that we have offended them, and do the very humbling thing of saying, I was wrong, I'm sorry, forgive me, we get all wonky. We get all creative and justifying why our sin against our brother or sister is, is, is good. It's a good thing. They deserve it. 
or I deserve this private thing because this hasn't happened in my life, or whatever other reason that we give to justify and cover our sin. But God, give us hearts that reveal who we are to you, that are not um, afraid of, of you when you have told us clearly you give us mercy if we are broken and contrite about our sin. I pray that we become those who are quick to confess our wrong to one another and quick to forgive each other for them. That's the gospel in display among us, and we pray that we do it well. In Christ's name, amen.